the Los Angeles Times, this is The Envelope, the podcast, your ultimate guide to award season. I'm one of your hosts, Yvonne Villarreal. And I'm your other host, Mark Olson. Every week, our podcast showcases key voices across both TV and film. And today, we have two guests on our show, Aubrey Plaza and Lawrence Michael Levine. You've seen Aubrey in comedies like Parks and Rec and Funny People. This year, she stars in and produces a comedy drama film that Lawrence directed called Black Bear. Black Bear is about Allison, played by Aubrey, an actress turned filmmaker who goes on a writing retreat at a secluded cabin owned by a couple, played by Christopher Abbott and Sarah Gadden. And then the story resets, or maybe not, so that we might be seeing the story Allison wrote, or a memory, or maybe something else. The movie explores creativity, partnership, manipulation, and jealousy with a head-spinning intensity. I don't think I've ever experienced that level of psychological manipulation, at least on a conscious level. I think that I have been in certain situations where maybe someone unconsciously is kind of behaving that way or maybe not even realizing it, but I don't think I've ever been in in a situation where someone, yeah, has really had to do that. If anything, it's the other way around. Mark's conversation with Aubrey and Lawrence is coming up in just a couple minutes. This episode of the Envelope podcast is sponsored by Apple TV Plus, presenting Boys State, the Critics' Choice Award and Sundance Grand Jury winner for Best Documentary. Boys State is a wildly entertaining exploration of a week-long annual program when a thousand Texas high school seniors gather for an elaborate mock exercise, building their own state government. Filmmakers Jesse Moss and Amanda McBain closely track the escalating tensions that arise within a riveting gubernatorial race, highlighting teenagers like Ben, a Reagan-loving art conservative who brims with confidence despite personal setbacks, and Stephen, a progressive-minded child of Mexican immigrants who stands by his convictions amidst the sea of red. From A24 and Apple Original Films, go to fyc.appletvplus.com for more. I know we're all looking forward to Mark's chat with Aubrey Plaza and Lawrence Michael Levine, but first, let's turn things over to our critic Glenn for Glenn Whip's Awards Minute. Steven Soderbergh is going to be going to the Oscars this year. Probably not for his new movie, Let Them All Talk with Meryl Streep, which just dropped on HBO Max. He's one of three producers for the 2021 Oscars ceremony. Now, we don't really know what the Oscars are going to look like next year because, I mean, who knows what the world is going to look like. But the one thing that we do know with Soderbergh in charge is going to be different, peculiar even. I mean, this is a guy who shot a movie on an iPhone. He made a four-hour film about Che Guevara. I mean, three decades as a filmmaker have been marked by experimentation, restlessness, and invention. So he's not a guy who's going to be same old, same old as the producer. And he's already said that, I mean, the Academy should just probably embrace this past year, which has been largely absent of blockbusters. And it's just been like this weird kind of indie cinephile year. And he says, let's lean into that. 
which we probably should because the Oscars should reflect what's been going on with movies this past year. But the one thing I hope Soderbergh remembers is that by April, it's going to be more than a year since most people have set foot inside a movie theater. And the 2021 Oscars need to at least remind people why moviegoing matters. And I think probably the guy behind the pandemic movie, Contagion, could be precisely the person to make that point. And now, Mark, let's get to your interview with Lawrence Michael Levine and Aubrey Plaza. I loved her sarcastic character, April Ledgate, in Parks and Rec, so it's hilarious to hear her messing with you and Lawrence. And she was great in Happiest Season, and I know a lot of people wanted her character to end up with Kristen Stewart's character. Um, So I'm looking forward to seeing her in something more unexpected like Black Bear. You know, I've interviewed her a few times over the years, and she's always got that great biting sense of humor, but she really has just grown and grown as a performer. She was so great in the movie Ingrid Goes West and on the TV show Legion, and she's even been an incredible host the past few years of the Independent Spirit Awards. She's so good at that this past year. Really, really good. Well, I'm excited to hear about her turn and about Happiest Season, her new Christmas film with Kristen Stewart. So let's get to it. Thanks to the both of you for for being here today. My pleasure. I know, Aubrey, as a proud native Delawarean, you must be very excited about the recent victory for Joe Biden. I know you did some campaigning for him as well. Yes, I did. As Joe said, Delaware is going to save the soul of the country. And uh, you heard it here first. Very proud of him. Very proud of Delaware. Very excited to get our first president in that White House. It's about time. I, too, support Joe Biden and gave him the limit of what I was allowed to give as an individual to his campaign. I think he's a hero. Thank you, Larry. (laughs) I have to say that Black Bear, I've seen the movie twice now. I saw it when it premiered at Sundance, and I've seen it more recently. And it's a movie that just, I have a lot of questions. Like, when my response to it is to really want to talk about it. Lawrence, there's a director's statement for the movie where you say that it sort of started from your subconscious, that you said the movie sort of wrote itself. And I'm kind of wondering what what you meant by that. It sounds pretentious, but unfortunately it's true. And I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you, Mark. The initial kind of gist of part one of Black Bear, at least, came from a dream that I had. So the dream, if I recall, didn't unfold the way that the movie does. But the general vibe of it and even just like the colors and the just the whole tenor of it came from a dream. Yeah. And then how do you sort of shape that into the screenplay of what becomes the movie? I don't know. It was a really intuitive process. Like, I worked for the five years prior to Black Bear. I had worked on a lot of more commercial, conventional stuff. And I got pretty good at just normal three-act structure, just kind of conventional screenwriting. But this movie, I just, I let myself go. I didn't really have a plan at any given point. It was, I surprised myself every day. I would go to the office not knowing what was coming next. And I just kept coming up with stuff. And uh, so in that sense, it was the easiest script that I had ever really written. I had no outline in advance. Just the kind of vibe of the dream and the, the characters. I know, Aubrey, when you first get the screenplay, what's your response? Like, what, I guess in some ways I'm wondering, what were your initial questions to this sort of unusual piece of work? Well, I think my first reaction was just that it felt so unique and that I had never read anything like it before. 
And of course, I had a lot of questions about just logic and what came first, one or two, or is there an answer to that? Or are these up for interpretation and things like that? I think my first question was like, how the hell do you think that I'm going to be able to do this? Like, I think when Larry gave it to me, I was very flattered that he believed in me so much that he felt like I could handle the material. And so I think that was the biggest question for me is like, I, I don't know if I can pull this off, but I understand it on multiple levels. So it all felt very familiar to me. And I was very connected to the character and material right from the start. And Lawrence, how did you sort of answer that for Aubrey? Like, what was it that you saw in her that made you want her for this part? Yeah, I mean, when I got, when I started to get to, to know Aubrey, I realized that she spoke like one of my characters. So my writing style, my approach is that I really I have characters who are difficult to pin down. And they're always, what they're saying is not the whole story, that a lot of what they convey is via body language and, and subtext. And that oftentimes language is used as a weapon to keep people off balance, to kind of establish boundaries and stuff. So as I got to know her, I thought, wow, this is really cool. She talks like one of my characters. She'd just be like a perfect person for one of my my movies. And then, Aubrey, as you said, you kind of felt connected to this right away, obviously enough so that you wanted to also be involved in the project as a producer. At this point in your career for you, how important is that to you, that you be allowed to sort of in an official, unassailable way have a voice in the creative process, that you're a part of making a movie by being a producer? It really depends on the project. I don't necessarily feel like from this moment forward, I shall produce every film I'm in. Um, It's really about the piece. And I think for me, this movie is a movie that you really, you really have to believe in to even attempt to make it because I had a lot of people read it and I won't name names but people that didn't necessarily believe that the movie was marketable or sellable or, you know, I don't know. It's an interesting script, you know, but I don't know if anyone's going to, you know, put money into this. So I think it was an organic kind of decision to for me to come on as a producer just to kind of help get the movie made. And then also just as an actress, this kind of script for me it was very clear to me that I was going to have to be in a very vulnerable position as an actress and go to a place that was uncomfortable. So it was important for me to have some kind of level of control and to feel like, you know, my opinion mattered when it comes to certain decisions in terms of casting and in terms of hiring people and, you know, in terms of how we're going to pull this off. So I think that it's unique, you know, it it depends on the project. Um, I don't think I always necessarily have to produce a movie that I'm in, but it just made sense for this one. Lawrence, I mean, to me, the movie, at least in part, is about sort of like the cost of creativity, both what that takes from the artist and also the impact it has on the people around them. Does that feel right to you? Is that to you part of what you think you were exploring with the movie? Yeah, 100%. That's exactly what I was exploring with the movie. I had reached a kind of point in my life where I was looking back in it and wondering if the sacrifices that I had made and the things that I had suffered to be an artist were worth it. And I think the movie definitely reflects that kind of bleak remembrance of <laughs> of my life and, and what had landed me where I am. Uh, the movie was very cathartic for me and that in some sense I hoped that I would be reborn 
And I also think that the character that Aubrey plays is hoping for that same kind of resurrection. Like through the ashes of her pain, she can rise like a phoenix and, and create something new and meaningful. Because both of you have made creative projects with your actual real-life partners, as is sort of happens in the movie. I mean, is that dangerous business? Like, have both of you, from your own experiences, can it be difficult to sort of separate your art from your life and, like, leave, you know, what's happening at work when you go home? Well, 100%. I mean, I think that the reasons why Larry and I ended up making this movie is kind of because we had a lot of discussions about that experience. It's a unique experience to share with someone and to understand how complicated it can be to to create art with your your loved one. It's just it's just so fraught and it's just a really complicated dynamic to navigate. And I think the movie really speaks to that in a lot of ways. I think it's dangerous business indeed. But I you know, that being said, I, I don't think that I've ever treated Sevilla like that on set. But you'd have to ask her. But yes, it's very complicated, challenging. And the rewards are deep, but the risks are deep too, you know. I'd say I've never been more in love with her or less in love with her at various times while we're making films. Because the second half of Black Bear explicitly involves the shooting of a movie. I mean, it takes place on a film set. And the director of that film is being extremely emotionally manipulative with the lead actress, who is in the story is also his wife. Aubrey, is that something you've ever experienced as a performer where like, directors think they're going to get something real out of you by kind of actually messing with you? I wish. I mean, I'm waiting for someone to come along and just, you know, really give it to me. But no, I don't think I've ever experienced that level of psychological manipulation, at least on a conscious level. I think that I have been in certain situations where maybe someone unconsciously is kind of behaving that way or maybe not even realizing it. But I don't think I've ever been in in a situation where someone, yeah, has really had to do that. If anything, it's the other way around. And Lawrence, I mean, is that something when you as a director and you have some experience as an actor as well, I mean, do you have to kind of respect that power dynamic and and like know the fact that like you're not manipulating someone for, you know, whatever artistic goal you might have in mind? When I'm making movies, I never feel powerful. I feel totally desperate and helpless. So like in terms of power dynamic, I've never felt that I had it. Whether or not like people perceive me to have it uh, or not, I, I don't know. But I've always felt totally helpless in the face of circumstance. I mean, reality never wants to cooperate with making a movie. So, you know, really... You know, I, I think at one point in the shoot, Avi, you accused me of doing something like Gabe was doing. And the truth was, I was just stressed out and being a dick. It was There was nothing conscious about it. So... I said on an unconscious level. Right. Yeah, unconscious. <laughs> so, like, you know, on the conscious level, I'm trying to be as nice and supportive as I possibly can. I'm trying to make the actors feel safe that they can take chances in front of me and I'm not going to judge them. And and I want them to feel totally supported. The challenge is just dealing with the stressful environment of the set, you know, and keeping your head about you when, when time is of the essence. You know, it gets very stressful when you're not getting a scene and, you know, you're going to have to move on to the next. And uh, so in those circumstances, it can be difficult to be your best self. And so that's the challenge. The fact that this 
character, uh, Chris Abbott's character in the film, is consciously cultivating this kind of manipulation, is drawn more from legends of filmmakers like Stanley Kubrick and John Luc Godard, and I was just having fun with it and pushing it for the sake of comedy and, and tragedy both. And now, Lawrence, you've made this kind of ambiguous, enigmatic movie that has this kind of strange power to it. And so I'm now going to ask you like a sort of boneheaded, literal question about it, which is simply, can you explain the two halves of the film? I mean, so there's the first half of the story. We're seeing a, a woman who used to be an actress, who's become a director, who's sort of gone on this writing retreat. And then the second half of the film, we're seeing a film being made that seems to maybe star that same actress. What to you is that connection? Is it like she's written the story of the second half from the first half, but then they kind of seem to bleed together a little more than that? Like, what to you is the relationship between those two halves of the story? Well, you know, I'm reluctant to answer the question because I, I purposefully blurred, blurred isn't the right word, I, I purposely obscured the direct interpretations that could be possible for the film. I wanted it to feel dreamlike and irreducible. I wanted it to feel inconclusive, in some ways frustrating, because I feel like reality now is very confusing. It probably is under the best of times, and certainly right now, uh, the country is being gaslit and going through a ton of ton of confusion. And fact and fiction are, are totally blurred. So I was definitely playing with that and cultivating it in the movie. So I'm reluctant to give any sort of pat interpretation about what's going on. But I definitely wanted audiences to wonder what the connection was between Allison's real life and what was being depicted. And I wanted them to ask the question of, is this being written as we watch it? Is she on the dock remembering her life? and planning to go write about it? And is that what she does at the end of the film? So is she sitting on the dock thinking about her life? And when she goes to write at the end of the film, she's thinking, okay, I'm going to turn all that pain into art. Did she suffer something like she went through in the second half of the movie that then led her to write the first? I kind of wanted to, to keep audiences alive to different possibilities of her character's relationship to the material of the film. Because, Aubrey, what does that do for you as a performer? Do you see the two halves of the film as two separate characters? Do you consider this one performance? Well, I don't know. It's hard for me to have perspective on my own performance in that way. But I would say that they're different characters, but that there's a through line for me that really drove me through the process in my own way, you know? I think the movie for me felt, the only way I can kind of describe it is like, it almost felt like two separate nightmares kind of interwoven into one mega nightmare. And if I treated both of these parts completely independently of the other, then it wouldn't have felt like a movie to me, like a cohesive movie. And I think that whether you noticed or not or felt it or not, like for me, there was an unconscious kind of emotional journey arc that I was on that in my mind had a beginning, a middle and an end to it. So I guess the answer is, I think that the characters were connected on an unconscious level, but the reality of the characters was very different. But I think there was kind of a, an emotional connection through both of those. And I had my own interpretations of what came first and what was fueling what. But even when I started working on that, and I even shared this with Larry, I think at some point during the shoot, it's like, 
I could only even articulate it through poetry, which sounds very pretentious also, but I genuinely could only wrap my head around it sometimes when I was thinking in terms of poems and things like that. So I would say the process that I went through was the process that I go through on all of my films, but then there was an added kind of experimental abstract approach that I took that kind of wove both of those things together. And that's something that I've never done before. So it's hard for me to articulate. Because the second half of the film is somewhat of a long, slow unraveling for you, Aubrey. And I think that's probably earlier when you said, you know, you weren't sure if you could do some of this. I mean, some of those moments are genuinely harrowing to watch. Was it as difficult to perform some of those moments as you thought they would be when you were first approaching the project? Totally. That day was excruciating for me on an emotional level and a physical level, I think, because at that point I had been pretty well into the second half. And um, for most of that second half, my character is very, very drunk. My body was taking a real beating from that. We shot really long hours every day. And that day in particular, the day of the final performance was a day that also had been moved up in the schedule because of rain. And so there were all kinds of elements coming into play that were making it (laughs) a total scary nightmare for me. But, you know, it's just the kind of thing that I knew going into it that that was going to be really, really, really hard. And that in some ways, I just kind of had to dive off the deep end. There was nothing else I can do. Like everything had been stripped down at that point. So I just kind of like surrendered at that point to the process. This episode of the Envelope podcast is sponsored by Apple TV Plus, presenting Boys State, the Critics' Choice Award and Sundance Grand Jury winner for Best Documentary. Boys State is a wildly entertaining exploration of a week-long annual program when a thousand Texas high school seniors gather for an elaborate mock exercise, building their own state government. Filmmakers Jesse Moss and Amanda McBain closely track the escalating tensions that arise within a riveting gubernatorial race, highlighting teenagers like Ben, a Reagan-loving art conservative who brims with confidence despite personal setbacks, and Stephen, a progressive-minded child of Mexican immigrants who stands by his convictions amidst the sea of red. From A24 and Apple Original Films, go to fyc.appletvplus.com for more. Lawrence, the the second half of the movie, when, you know, it's depicting this film shoot, I keep wondering just the practicalities of like having your film crew shooting this film crew in the movie. And does that ever just get sort of like confusing and chaotic? You've sort of got this fake crew and a real crew and you're shooting stuff, but then shooting of the shooting of stuff. Like how difficult is it to just sort of like keep all those plates spinning? It was interesting. I had never directed a scene with so many characters in it. And the scene that Aubrey's talking about, where basically everyone on set, including, you know, the actors were all on set, and the crew, who was doubling as extras in the movie as the crew, were basically all 
being directed because many of the PAs and camera department or whatever actually had blocking. They had to walk through scenes and they had to hand actors props and, and stuff like that. So it was pretty chaotic and we had to do it really fast, but it was also really fun. And I'm really proud of the results. And I have to give the cinematographer, Rob Leitzel, a lot of credit because we shot that portion of the movie much like a documentary. There was no coverage planned. And the actors, they had to move within certain parameters, but they were relatively loose. In some ways, it was easier to shoot because there was no particular blocking and there were no specific camera moves that needed to happen. Rob was just following the action. I think the challenge was the blocking and the timing of everybody's movements. But it was it was really fun. And I was never confused, but I was flustered. Aubrey, that breakdown scene, your character performs a scene, has this very emotional moment in the story. There's a problem with the camera and you're going to have to do it again. And for you as a performer, can you do the same thing twice? Are you always kind of like doing things a little differently? Like, what is it like for you as a performer when there are moments like that that you have to sort of repeat yourself? I'd like to think that I can do the same thing twice if I'm asked to, but I don't know. I generally don't think I do do the same thing twice. But again, I don't know because I'm not really paying attention in that way. But I can confirm (laughs) that that's true. But yeah, I mean, I think I'm always trying to please the director and do what they want. And I think that that moment is just so a very extreme version of it, but a very relatable moment, I think, for a lot of actors when you feel like you've got nothing left, you've just got nothing left, and they want to go again. And it's just like... I think that ended up being really rewarding because you just push yourself to a limit that you don't even understand, and then you hope that it works out. And you, it's like when a mom lifts up a car to save her baby or, or something like the. I think there are certain times when you draw on things that you didn't even know you had to draw on because it's like you're just surviving at that point. And I think that I live for those kinds of moments. And like it brings out all the kind of weird, self-destructive, sadomasochistic things that I have very deep down beneath where it's like, yes, I want to like just totally disappear into this. Totally forgot the question. (laughs) (laughs) And Lawrence, you mentioned earlier that this whole process has been cathartic for you. Can you explain that a little bit more? Like now that you're sort of on the other side of making Black Bear, what has it kind of done for you? Where where are you now? I'm encouraged. I'm really encouraged by the experience, um, though it was difficult. I kind of felt, uh, you know, I had made a bunch of films and I was never satisfied with the result. I always felt like I was coming up short artistically. And at that exact moment, I had to stop making films because I needed money. So I had to pivot and channel my abilities into a different context, a more commercial, um, traditional context. And I didn't really know if after five years of doing that, if I still had a voice as an artist. And I was also in a lot of personal pain at the time that I wrote the movie because I my life seemed to have gotten out of my own control. Not only that, but the condition of the country was very depressing as well. And um, uh, so it was a dark time. And um, I kind of took my pain and channeled it into the script. There was a release when I was done. And then um, just the fact that it was able to be made 
is almost like a small miracle to me. I'm, I, I didn't create this movie thinking about an audience or money or anything like that. I really wrote it just as like a, like a blues song or something, like a howl of, <laughs> of pain or something. And uh, just the fact that it's, it's made at all and that it exists, I find encouraging that audiences might still be open to some, something like this that's really not very traditionally commercial. Arbor, you, you also have a role in another movie this season, Happiest Season, which is a complete 180, so different from this movie, the role that you have. Is that something that you like, the fact that you can make something as challenging as Black Bear and then also be in something warmer? And for as much as Black Bear is like difficult for an audience, Happiest Season is just like such an embracing and warm movie. Yeah, I think that I... I love all kinds of movies. I think Larry and I are both like that. We like big movies, commercial movies too, and those kinds of stories. So I'm just, honestly, I'm just grateful that I can do both and that I get the opportunity to jump into a, like a big, you know, Christmas rom-com studio movie. And the particular timing of that film for me was just so great because I had been through Black Pear a couple months before that, and that left me kind of, spiraling and just kind of like, oh, like, I don't know if I could ever do that again, kind of state of mind. And so like getting to jump into Happiest Season and play around with like Kristen Stewart and work with Clea, it was just, I felt very grateful that I got to be in that movie. And I like all kinds of movies, but I will say that I don't necessarily approach anything differently. I don't think about it like, oh, well, this is like a silly big movie. So I'm not, I'm just going to you know, not work on it or whatever. Like, it's all the same to me, but it's definitely less taxing on my emotional and physical life. It's nice to be able to do lighter material sometimes. And yeah, I'll take what I can get, you know. And then just the last thing I want to ask each of you is that everybody's at home right now. Everybody's spending a lot of time just watching other things. So I just want to ask each of you, is there something that you've kind of watched recently that was really meaningful that you really liked and that you'd want to recommend to other people? Lawrence, is there anything that you'd you'd want to be sure that, that people check out? I had never seen Kurostami's close-up and I watched it in the early portion of quarantine and it blew me away. And I think that would also make an interesting double feature with Black Bear. But anyway, uh, I loved close-up, so I would recommend that. I think rec recently I watched The Farewell, which I thought was really great. I've been watching Seduction, or seduced like everybody else, The Vow, which, I mean, the parallels between Keith Raniere and him driving people into psychosis and stuff, and Black Bear is, I think, suggestive. And Aubrey, is there anything that you've watched that you'd, you'd want to recommend to people? Well, I don't know. I've been, I don't really watch a lot of TV, so I haven't been watching a lot of TV, but um, I, well, you know what? Oh. I recently watched the Belushi documentary that's about to come out. I got a special link to that one. Um, so I'd recommend that. It's coming out on Showtime, not my movie, not to promote. But I thought that documentary was awesome. Just amazing to just get to watch Belushi for two hours. So awesome. Actually, there's this comedy show that I was watching that I'm totally forgetting the name of, but Nathan Fielder produces it. It's called like How To... How to a John Wilson. So I've been watching that and I was like, okay, that's different. I had never watched Nathan for You until two weeks ago. And it's the best show I've ever seen. 
Oh my God, Nathan Free is the best. I love Nathan for you. And I watched Master and Commander a couple nights ago. Highly recommend that. If you're looking for an action movie, that movie's got the goods. Yeah, same. I also watched We Need to Talk About Kevin twice because, because I just like to really torture myself. It is so good. Well, great. Well, thank you both, Aubrey Plaza, Lawrence Michael Levine. The movie is Black Bear. Thanks again to the both of you. Thanks again to you. Cut. Mark, I really feel like this film was made for me, or I I think it's made for a lot of us in this moment. I think we've all sort of asked ourselves some very existential questions, like, in addition to what is life, but like, what am I doing? What is my purpose? What do I find meaning in? So it was fun to sort of hear that this movie explores these topics. Will I enjoy it? Do you think it'll have me reaching a little too much? Is it going to be a lot to sort of digest? Well, if nothing else, I think you'll feel better about your own situation in relation to Aubrey's character and the sort of spiral that she goes through in in the movie. It's a great way to sort of like think about, you know, why do I do these things? Why do I do what I do? Why am I the kind of person that I am? And so I think those elements of the movie are really, really exciting. Well, it'll be better than the Calm app, I guess. Maybe a little bit cheaper. Um, so what... It's going to be more intense. <laughs> what have you been watching this week? Is there anything you recommend? Oh, you know, I uh, on your recommendation, Yvonne, I've been watching The Crown, and I uh, I actually finished the the recent season. You really had me there. I really thought you were going to say Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, but then I was like... Mark would not give me that kind of Christmas present this early, so... Baby steps. Baby steps. But The Crown is good, right? Well, the performances are all really good. I mean, it's it's exciting. And then obviously the writing by Peter Morgan is really top-notch. And I think also it's true that this season where it does feel like, oh, I know those characters. I'm old enough to remember some of this stuff. So it kind of, I think that helps from, you know, oh, this, you know, those olden times of the 1950s and 60s. Did you find yourself going down like the rabbit hole of researching, of looking up articles and pictures? Not too much because I, uh, I'm i well aware that it's a drama. And so it's fine by me that it stays in that, in that mode. That's good. Well, one, I caught up on The Flight Attendant, which, you know, is a f- sort of fun romp, a whodunit kind of thing. But I also took in a film this week because I knew we were going to be having Rashida Jones as a guest, and I saw On the Rocks, which I really enjoyed. Oh, that's terrific. Wow. Yeah, she, uh, so she's going to be our guest next week in the new Sofia Coppola film, On the Rocks. And uh, I, I, what, did you, what did you make of it? Did you enjoy it? I have to say I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so I think everyone should tune in to next week's episode when Mark speaks with Rashida. I think I am just slightly above mediocre at most things. Like, I think I can handle and skillfully navigate, like, lots of different little jobs. But I think probably if I had a talent, I hope it's taste and choice when I'm in a position to choose things. You can listen to that conversation with Rashida in our very next episode. The Envelope, the podcast is hosted and reported by me, Yvonne Villarreal, and by my colleague, Mark Olson. Our producers are Paige Heimson and Shannon Lynn, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. And our audio engineer is Mike Heflin. Special thanks to Mike for making our theme song. If you like The Envelope, the podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. 
The Envelope is created by the journalists at the LA Times. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. I talk so much, Mark. What? In this uh, intro. That's why I'm like, oh my God, it's me again. Oh my God, it's me again. <laughs> Okay. <laughs>